Welcome back to Civil Action with Brian Kabatek and Sean Karnicki. And say hello to everybody, Sean. Hello, everyone. He's so obedient. And uh, we are now on year three of the COVID-19 lockdown. It feels like it, but we're only like three weeks into it. Probably a couple more years left until we can go outside. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and and get a haircut, right? So, yeah. um, man, how about that? We have a special guest with us. That's our special guest voice. We have Michael Childress, who is of counsel to our firm, Cabotech LLP, located in Los Angeles. Uh, one of the things that our firm has a great deal of experience in is handling insurance cases, insurance, bad faith claims, first party insurance. I think between Michael and I, we've added up that we probably have at least a billion dollars in recoveries against insurance companies. That's in addition to probably another billion dollars or so that our firm has recovered in other judgment settlements and verdicts. Um, so when this COVID-19 hit, uh, we decided that we wanted to look very closely at the business interruption coverage. We're going to talk about that extensively today. Uh, before we get into the discussion, Sean, tell people where they can find us. They can find us at kbklawyers.com, but they can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else they listen to podcasts. And normally our podcasts feature weekly discussions on recent cases that have come down from the Ninth Circuit, California Supreme Court, the California Court of Appeal that affect plaintiff's practices. Uh, but from time to time, we deviate and we do something a little different, a little more interesting. And today we're going to talk about business interruption, COVID-19, and uh, why this this is something that you should be looking at, why people should be looking at it and considering it carefully. So I think, Michael, um, just very briefly, sure. not only are you a counsel in our firm, but you have almost 40 years experience as a trial lawyer, uh, about 30 of those spent doing insurance cases. Insurance. Actually, actually, all 40 doing insurance. I, I'm one of the few that started out in the insurance industry. Um Back in 1981, and you know, back then, the only kind of cases you got were were where your client had either burned down their place or was trying to defraud the insurance company. And so, it wasn't a full time job until the mid 90s when the insurance companies started denying everything. So, um, so I've been doing this a very, very long time. So yes, you know. have, and and uh, to someone like Sean, that seems like four lifetimes. <laughs> so, was Sean even alive in 1981? No. I don't think he was. No, no that's good. Thank you for making us feel good, Sean, about ourselves. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, so, Michael, let's start with a, a discussion about what is business interruption insurance and then how that factors into everything. Yep. So, um, you know, we've been looking closely at, at finding insurance coverage for the losses uh, resulting from the pandemic. You know, the pandemic is unprecedented. Nobody forecasted it. And with all the, the closures that are occurring, uh, businesses, large and small, are taking the inordinate hit for the rest of society to uh, reduce the impact of uh, the COVID-19 virus. Um, whenever you're looking for it, and so the insurance policies that we're looking at are, are property insurance policies, not liability policies, not workman's comp. Property policies is where you would find coverage for damage to your, you know, your dwellings, your, your buildings. Um, but you would also find coverage for your, your business income losses, also called lost profits coverage. Another term is business interruption coverage. And business interruption coverage is, is um, an additional coverage in almost every commercial uh, 
property insurance policy. And so there's there's no doubt that there's some business interruption coverage that will come to bear in almost every situation. Uh, when you're trying to determine whether or not um, you have coverage for loss, it's it's a it's a two part um, analysis. First part is to determine whether or not the 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 type of peril, the type of loss that's that's occurring, comes within coverage, and then the second analysis is whether an exclusion bars it or limits uh, the amount of coverage. And so, um, and I may be going too far. Then you're doing great. Yeah. And I think maybe if I ask a couple of questions about that point, it might help because I learned a lot of this from um, Ryan and Michael specifically. And kind of that's one of the first issues that I sort of struggled with. How do you determine whether or not the policy itself, just big picture, is a uh, all risk type of policy or a specified peril policy? Where do you look to for that? Well, you, you look at the coverage grant. Which typically will say we coverage, we cover all risks of direct physical loss of and damage to uh, covered property. Wouldn't risk. you say, Michael, that at least ninety percent of most business property policies are all risk policies? A- absolutely. To, to get a specified peril policy um, for a business would be ex- exceedingly rare, rare. You sometimes see it for uh, homeowners coverage. You often see it for personal property coverage. Yeah. But you'd never see it uh, in, in the business context because it wouldn't cover anything. So we go into this, Sean, with the understanding that a business probably has this all-risk basic policy. But I think from there, things can diverge you know, rapidly. I mean, one thing that, that I think lawyers understand, but I'm not sure the public understands, is that not all policies are the same. That's a fact. And, and in fact, um, each insurer kind of uh, white labels their own policy. They they start with a basic mule from one of the form companies that supplies the forms, but then they they edit and alter them uh, to match the particular product to make their coverage unique. Um, but the the all risk coverage grant is pretty common across all insurers, and and basically what that means is all risks of direct physical loss of or damage to covered property are covered unless they're excluded. And so that's that's the, the standard all-risk grant. So the question becomes, under an all-risk policy, whether you have triggered direct physical loss of or physical damage to your property. And that's going to be the, the, the one of the big battleground issues in these Right. I was going to say, uh, not to throw a wrench into the process here, but I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are wondering, well, how is the shutdown going to be tied to direct physical loss of or damage to the insured property? And how how what's the strategy for addressing that, Michael? Well, I think before um, I think before we actually get to that shot, let's talk about just generally how an a, a typical insurance claim would be made for business interruption. I want to use two hypotheticals. I want to assume that we have um, Shant Karnikian's uh, very gourmet high-end restaurant that's located in a strip mall in the Valley. Okay? And uh, Shant is well-known. It's, it's actually the only Michelin star restaurant in a strip mall in the world. Okay? And next door to you in the strip mall is a dry cleaner, right? So hypothetical number one, the um, 
Sean's cooking in his restaurant one night and leaves the oil on and the restaurant burns to the ground uh, because of, you know, negligence, not intentional. He wasn't trying to do that to collect the insurance money. He just wanted, he just went home and forgot to turn the oil off. Okay. Right. How is that triggering business interruption? So very clearly you have direct physical damage to your property by virtue of the fire that has destroyed it. And that is the trigger for lost profits. And so under that kind of scenario, you would get paid the cost to rebuild your property. Plus you would get paid usually 12 months during the period of restoration for the length of time it took you to rebuild your property for your lost profits, plus your extra expenses incurred um, during the rebuilding process. And those extra expenses can include things like salary that you continue to pay, um, storage of, of inventory, um, lots of different it, right. rent at another space. If you, if you try to open up on a, on a limited basis in another space, rent at another space can be covered. How about that food truck that Sean wanted to open? Well, there you go. Exactly. If you bought a food truck and started doing food truck to, to minimize, mitigate your damage, that would be another extra expense that would be covered. So Sean, um, let's change the hypothetical slightly and have you not burning down your own restaurant. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, the, the, the dry cleaner next door? No, the, okay. the dry cleaner next door um, carelessly leaves an iron on and it burns down. Not It doesn't really burn down your restaurant. It burns down the, um, the dry cleaner. But as a result of that, you've got limited access to your restaurant. There's, there's, there's all kinds of issues. There's no physical actual damage to Shant's restaurant. But the, the fire next door and the dry cleaner has caused some problems. Michael, how, take us through that, that scenario, that hypothetical. So under, under that hypothetical, there's, there's potentially two ways to the goal. Um, one way would be uh, direct physical loss of use and access to your property um, to trigger business interruption coverage. But the other, uh, the, that, that way typically has a 30-day uh, deductible period. And so if, if you're not going to be shut, if access isn't going to be restricted for 30 days, the other way is through an additional coverage called civil authority. And what civil authority does is allow you to collect it, depending on the, the, the elimination period. Sometimes it's typically it's 72 hours. Sometimes it's reduced down to 24. But it allows you to collect for lack of access to your property due to damage to other properties in the area. Now let's change the fact pattern and talk about um exactly what we're dealing with now, COVID-19. Right. And where we stand and where we go with, with respect to this, with respect to business interruption. So now, uh, Sean's one-star Michelin restaurant has had no physical damage to the restaurant itself. Um, and he's going about life doing extremely well with bookings well into May. Right. Uh, can't get a seat in that, in that restaurant for your life. And... Um, he is just excited. Business is going great. And then all of a sudden, uh, the county of Los Angeles and the mayor of the city of Los Angeles issue an order that says um, all these restaurants have to shut down. All these businesses have to shut down. Right. Okay. So, Shant, you're now facing losses because of the, the salary. What other kinds of losses are you facing, Shant, in your business? Not, not making any sales, no profits. Um, paying utilities because those bills don't go away, uh, spoilage of supplies and stock that I had. So there's a bunch of different losses there. 
presumably playing, pay, continuing to pay rent. Rent, yeah. Right, right. And all your all your ongoing expenses. Um, you know, if you have equipment leases, um, if you have uh, uh, emergency services to put out fires, um, all of that stuff. Uh, cleaning companies, the cleaning companies should probably stop. Yeah, contracts with suppliers that are that that you've agreed to buy X number of dollars worth of booze from every month. Exactly, but Sean, um, Sean, don't refer to it as booze. That's you're, you. Uh, you have a Michelin star restaurant. My God, yeah, Grand Cru wines. Yes, that's right, fine wine. That's the only word, good words about wine that Sean <laughs> knows is Grand Cru. So, Sean, um, now your restaurant is closed, um, and you've got this insurance policy, this all risk and policy, um, and uh, the, let's assume for the pep the purpose of this hypothetical that your policy has a virus exclusion. So Michael, you want to take us through right. where we stand with that? Yes. So, so once again, um, we believe that the, that the closure, you, you have to, it, it really has to do with causation and you, and you have to think about what actually happened here. Um, there was no virus found in the restaurant itself. It was closed uh, for the common good. Um, for the people to prevent the the spread of the virus. And so since we're dealing with an insurance policy that covers a piece of property, typically the typical way a virus exclusion would operate would be if virus or any other excluded mold, asbestos, they're all excluded under the policy. If those were find, found in the property, you would have no coverage for the cost to, to repair that and the attendant shutdown on one hand. In this case, however, what really it has caused the damage is the fact that, that, that the government has caused you to shut down and, and as well as limited your access to your facility. And it's been done for the good of the government as well as the good of all your, all, all your neighbors and, and, and people. And so under that scenario, we believe that it satisfies the direct physical loss of function of your facility. And it's not the facility was contaminated, right, Michael? It's not like they're trying to spread it, but the cause of the closures is not necessarily the virus contaminating sites, but it's to prevent the spread of it. It's the fear of the spread of the virus. Well, it's also the social distancing. It's also the fact that, you know, people aren't supposed to congregate in groups of more than a handful of people. I mean, Sean's restaurant didn't have any virus in it. Correct. Correct. And by the way, I don't know if we've mentioned this already. The burden of proof is on the insurance company to establish the applicability of an exclusion. They can't just point to it and say exclusion. They've got to actually prove beyond a preponderance of the evidence that the exclusion applies. Correct. And, and, and a lot of these issues were beat up pretty, pretty roundly um, at, right after 9-11. And in particular for the airlines who, when, when, the, when um, they were not allowed to fly, um, they lost a lot of money. And um, in those cases, it was determined, but, but the airlines themselves could continue in business. The airlines themselves were not shut down. And that's really the distinguishing characteristic in this case. Here, the businesses are actually being shut down by, um, by the government. And so if you look at the virus exclusion, the, the typical virus exclusion um, prevents coverage for 
any damage caused by or resulting from any virus, bacterium, or microorganism that induces or is capable of inducing physical illness, distress, or disease. And so, you know, what the insurance industry is going to say, they're going to say that, that the circumstances we find ourselves in uh, resulted from a virus that could induce physical distress, illness, or disease. And it's all going to turn on the definition and the application of that term resulting from. Right. And the concurrent loss of the government order or the government restriction on the property is, although potentially related, it's, it's a different cause. Yeah, absolutely. And so what you have in this situation is you have multiple causes, some covered, some not covered, causing damage. And under that language, uh, damage caused by, loss or damage caused by, or resulting from, that doesn't exclude other causes of loss. And so if the predominant cause is found to be the government order, then all losses stemming from the uh, government order will be covered. And any losses stemming from the finding of virus in your restaurant will be excluded. But I pretty much assure you that nobody's going to find any virus in any restaurants. So, Sean, before we pivot slightly on this issue, um, now that your restaurant's been closed, what sort of questions do you have for Michael? Well, what do I do next? Quite literally, restaurants close. I have this insurance policy. It says something in there about business business interruption. If there may or may not be a virus exclusion, what do I do next? I, I, I should probably just call up my broker and tell him, hey, do you think I could get coverage for this? I, I'm not open. I'm closed. I'm losing a bunch of money. Well, I I there's, there's two things that you should absolutely not do next. And one of them would be calling your broker because the response is going to be predictable, and that is that you have no coverage. Brokers are the, are the first line of defense for the insurance industry and often motivated to limit or not file claims because it impacts their compensation. The, the first thing you should do is get your insurance policy and get it to somebody competent to review it. Brokers are specifically not competent and often not authorized uh, by their contracts with the insurance companies to review and interpret insurance policy. And, and they're not lawyers. And they're not lawyers. The second thing is not to report the claim to your insurance company until you understand all the different uh, trails and obstacle course in your particular policy so that you can present a claim that's going to be covered. Because when you present a claim to your insurance company, the people on the other end of the phone are looking at scripts that have been prepared by the insurance company and they ask you a series of questions that lead you out of coverage. And you wanting to be cooperative and helpful will over-report information that will end up hurting you down the line and serving as a basis for a denial. So what do we know now about this situation? I mean, literally at the time we're, we're recording this podcast, we're about two and a half, three weeks into the closure. Um, we know that businesses are dying out there, literally dying. You know, no, no, no joke that the I'm sure that the large chains will survive in some fashion. I, I think that the mid range, you know, successful re neighborhood restaurants or shots, uh, one Michelin star restaurant, those kind of restaurants will survive. But, you know, I've heard statistics as many as 30 percent of all the smaller restaurants will collapse as a result of this. Right. Um, on the other hand, I've heard from the insurance industry and you know, we monitor the insurance industry fairly closely. They're already circling the wagons. They're looking at uh, what's going to happen here. Uh, 
telling people don't deny these claims because we want people to go away. And one thing, Michael, we've talked about is the vast majority of people, when they're told no by the insurance company, do in fact go away. 95%. It's the standard operating procedure and fundamental to the business plan of every insurance company is to initially say no. Maybe even the second and the third time they'll say no. And that results in 95% of the people accepting what, what, what the insurance company says and taking care of the loss themselves and just trying to soldier on. So only 5% end up getting help, the help that they need. So if, it, if the insurance company wins 95% of the time, why wouldn't you do it? It's really good for business. Um, and then we run into the situation where the carriers, I think, know instinctively that uh, I've heard as much as 40% of the policies don't have virus, exclu- virus exclusion, 20% on the low end. So there's a number of policies out there that uh, are really almost certain to pay a claim if we can establish there's damage as a result of the closure. But then the rest of the virus exclusions, they seem to believe may or may not, they may or may not have a, a, a winning argument. And they're now saying things like the insurance industry is going to collapse, right? Let's talk about that. Well, there's a, so there's a pitched battle going on um, uh, behind closed doors and, and somewhat out in the public between uh, business people, legislatures, lobbyists, and the insurance industry. And when you have massive losses on an unprecedented scale across the country like we have here, um, everybody's trying to figure out how it's going to be resolved, who's going to end up paying for it. And the insurance industry is the obvious insurance. Your insurance policy is the obvious place to look because you pay premiums. And the industry knows that and wants to do everything they can prophylactically to avoid that. And so ultimately, though, they, they're also talking about federal bailout. Exactly. And that's what they're all looking for. They're, they're even kind of floating too big to fail arguments that you that you need our industry and that if we're faced with this massive uh, amount of claims that we're going to get stuck and we're going to go down and so the federal government should just step in now yeah the other, the, the last point i have to make on it and then i'll i'll open it up to you guys each for your closing comments is that like so many times we're involved in uh disaster situations with property insurance claims um the media initially is not so interested in the insurance issue, then they're momentarily interested in it, and then the interest sort of fades as, as everybody moves on to the next event in life. I don't know if this, I think this might be different. And I think it might be different because you're going to see businesses disappear, you're going to see jobs go away, and you're going to see the insurance industry not taking any real responsibility for it, particularly if these claims are, as we believe, held uh, to be, they're responsible for paying these claims. Uh, so I don't think this is going to go away quickly, and I'm really urging people out there to file claims. Uh, if you're a lawyer representing businesses, make sure they file a claim. If you have questions, please reach out to us. We're happy to answer. I'm happy to help you with your cases, happy to help you with your claims. Um, but, you know, this is a very serious matter, and you know, one of those things that you get involved in, you feel like you're actually helping people and making a difference like we do in so many things. So, Sean, I'll give you the next word, and then Michael will close this out. Yeah, I think you nailed it, Brian, with with uh, saying that you don't give up on filing these claims. You might look at it at first glance. And as a young lawyer, when I first look at exclusions, 
I'd say, oh, well, this is excluded. But then I slowly learned that, you know what? They have the benefit of drafting this contract. They're in a position of power when they come up with this. And it, it, you should give it a closer look and be able to fight them on this because their business model is to the delay and then deny. And they're going to try to do that here. And it's important to build a critical mass of people making these claims and possibly bringing these lawsuits. So I think there should be a coalition of lawyers out there doing this work. And, we have, and, and there are a co- there is a coalition of lawyers out there doing this work. Lawsuits are being filed all across the country. We've seen some in Chicago. We've seen some in New Orleans. We've seen a, some in Northern California and Southern California. And momentum is building. You know, we were, Brian and I were on the phone yesterday with a couple of our colleagues here in Los Angeles, very well-known lawyers. And independently, we got together to, to talk to see if we were, we were basically drinking our own Kool-Aid. And it, it was amazing how aligned and, and, the, and how similar the point of view of each of the lawyers on the phone was with respect to uh, this issue and, and the availability of coverage. So we're feeling very, very confident that at the end of the day, yes, there'll be a fight, but at the end of the day, we're going to reach the goal and people will be covered. And don't buy the insurance industries moaning and groaning about, about not having any money and about, about going down. The insurance industry lays off through cat bond financing and reinsurance all of their risk long before the catastrophes ever occur. And so what they're really talking about is the losses that they've suffered in their investment portfolios limiting the amount, the, the amount of profit that they're going to make this year. But in no way is it going to threaten the viability of the industry. There will always be a, an insurance industry as long as there's risk to insure. So that's what we got for you today, folks. Thank you very much for joining us on Civil Action with Brian Kabatek, Chuck Karnickian, and our special guest, our counsel to our firm, Michael Childress. Uh, it, we're always here to answer your questions. Sean, you close it out for us, please. You can find us online at kvklawyers.com and you can check us out. Please feel free to reach out to us with any comments about this issue or other things we've ever talked about. Uh, we love hearing your feedback and we thank you for tuning in.